Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Birth Stories with me, Clemmie Hooper, created by Offscript. I'd love to say that it was one of those moments where we sat down and we had a really big discussion and we had this light bulb moment and thought, oh, you know what, we want to start a family. But it was just tick box for us. We got married and um, we just said, do you think we're going to have a kid at some point? And we're like, yes. And that was it. So we lived in a rented room in my father-in-law's house. And I remember opening the door and there were quite a lot of takeaways sort of past our house and um, I could smell oil in the air and I'd never smelt that oil before and so I said I think we need to go to the pharmacy came back with a test and a McDonald's and then it came back positive yeah the first couple of months it doesn't really feel real it didn't feel real all I was was sick I remember thinking if this is what pregnancy is supposed to feel like this just kind of doesn't feel worth it and I think it was only when I started to get that little bump I think that's when it started to feel real. But also I remember feeling extremely daunted at the thought that there was something in there. Hello, I'm Clemmie Hooper and welcome to Birth Stories, a podcast where I talk to amazing women about the fascinating and unique ways they have their babies. This is the last episode in series one, so we've invited a very special guest today, TV chef, presenter and author Nadia Hussain. Many people will know Nadia for winning the Great British Bake Off in 2015. Since then, she's presented TV shows, written cookbooks and recently released a memoir, Finding My Voice. Nadia is a mother of three and her first son Musa was born in 2006. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) This is so exciting. Like anywhere where I get to talk about my kids and I'm not told to shut my mouth, (laughs) I am happy. So yeah, this is a good place. You can talk about food if you want to. I can do that too. (laughs) So um, you got married quite young. What were you, 20? I was just, I just turned 21 when I became pregnant. So I was, I turned 20. Yeah, I was 20 when I got married. Quite young, I guess. Yeah, that's definitely young. Um, And that was a choice that I made. You know, it was because I didn't go to university. um, And so I figured that I was going to do run of the mill and I was going to work jobs and I was going to eventually get married. And so I did. And that's how having children kind of came into it because life felt like very much tick box exercise at that point it was like okay well I'm married now what should we have kids okay then let's do that and and that's what that's what it was about so I'd love to say there was some sentiment behind it but there really wasn't you were just like this is the next thing we do yeah. so when you were pregnant what kind of research or what did you do to educate yourself about birth did you go to antenatal classes did you talk to your sisters your cousins did you read books what was your like way of informing yourself well we had a very slow internet where we were so <laughs> I had I read information very slowly <laughs> off the internet and I remember when I when I saw my midwife for the first time and then I remember building up quite a good relationship with her which I think naturally you do when you've got this person who's yeah. checking up on you week after week did you have the same midwife for every appointment every single appointment because that's quite rare actually yeah to have that continuity so that must have been lovely to have 
had, yeah, like you said, you build up a proper relationship with them. Yeah, so I had the same midwife from start to finish every pregnancy. And I remember when I was um, a few months in and then she said, okay, so these, she was giving me lots of leaflets and that can be quite overwhelming. It's like, here you go, here are these leaflets, go home and read those. And she gave me a list of antenatal classes Mm. in in our area where we were in Leeds. And um, the thought of turning up somewhere completely alone Mm. and going to an antenatal class um, just frightened the life out of me. And I toyed with the idea of going and then I decided in the end that I wouldn't go. I kind of regret that now. Do you? Why? Because I suppose I felt like it should have been a part of the journey. But am I saying that because everybody else was doing it? Was it a part of a journey because everybody else was doing it? And why do I feel bad for doing not doing something that was an option. You know, I didn't have to go to those antenatal classes if I didn't want to. Um, but I also felt like a bad mum. It's amazing that mum guilt can kick in long before. before you've even given birth. Long before. And yeah, I, I really regretted not going to them. But my anxiety had a lot of... It, it played a massive part in the things that I did do and the things that I didn't do. So I had to either fight my anxiety and get myself to that antenatal class or stay at home and be safe with my child and and I chose safety and Mm. and I did that a lot of my pregnancy I didn't if I could avoid seeing people and talking to people anybody apart from my midwife I didn't I avoided every other situation do you think it was a trust issue as well um I didn't have anyone so when I moved to Leeds I had my husband didn't have any friends uh I mean, I didn't know them very well. And in all fairness, I didn't know my husband that well either. Really? Yeah, well, we had this kind of weird semi-arranged marriage. Mm. And a lot of that will have played a massive part in my pregnancy in that we didn't really... The first time we got... When we got married, I'd only ever actually physically been in a room with him for for 12 minutes. Alone? Alone, 12 minutes. How many times had you met him before your actual wedding day? We... The third day was the day we got married. That's the third time I'd ever seen him in the flesh. I mean, you know he had to be good looking for me to marry him. I'm just saying. He is very good looking. I've seen a picture of him. But so that brings up so many different like emotions. You're you're still a young woman, sort of coming into like adulthood. You're going through a massive life-changing thing with your body. Yeah. You know, you're being sick or you're feeling sick, your hormones are all over. And then you want to go on this journey with your husband, who again, like you said, you don't know necessarily that well yeah which... that's, that's an unusual situation for anyone to of be course. in um so he was yeah, he was i liked him a lot <laughs> so that <laughs> that's helped. good yeah but you know do you have children with people you like you know it's questionable right <laughs> but when i remember when i married him i said you know i'm marrying you and this is forever yeah that you're not getting away and i mean he must have thought this, this she's psycho there's something not right with her but i said you know i'm marrying you forever and this is it you don't get to go and i don't get to go we make this work whatever yeah. happens because you didn't um do any antenatal classes did you write a birth plan how did you kind of get your head around this is what we're going to do or this is what i want to choose well i did the thing even though i didn't go to antenatal classes you know you get all these like, great books which i think are really good they really did help me the big kind of thick waddy leaflety things that they give you and I, I remember reading through those i did go to the library so i'd go to the library and read lots of books um I, i'm lucky because i had aunties who were still having children and my sister who had two kids at the time and she was a great help so she would talk about her pregnancy and i did the worst thing and thought like so she has really quick short labors she always had her has her babies two weeks early and all her children are just under some under four pounds some under five pounds oh, quite so little quite small she's quite small herself oh, she, yeah and I remember when she was telling me about her birth of her third child and she said oh I think I'm ready to push and she said no you the baby's out 
No way. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was really, I was like, oh, you know what? That's what I, I wanted all my pregnancies to be like her pregnancies. And I assumed that because she was my sister. Yeah. That that's what would happen. That's not true at all. Well, there's definitely a connection with um, family history yeah. on the female side. Like as midwives, there's lots of things we often ask women in pregnancy. Like, did your mum ever have like um, preeclampsia or diabetes? Um, and there is definitely something to be said for sisters having quite similar births. But obviously now we'll go into yours. How different could they have been? Mine was, well, I'm, if that's true, they're great. But we were definitely the medical anomaly because all three of us have had totally different pregnancies and births. Um, and I I went in thinking because I thought, wow, I'm going to have a pregnancy. I'm going to have a labour like hers. Um and I went in and I did a birth plan because they said yeah. it's really important for you to know exactly what you want. Because if yeah. you're in a state where you can't answer those questions, we have them there, they're set, they're ready to go. And I found out that writing birth plans is pointless. Uh, because <laughs> Why do you think that is? Because your body will do what it wants to. And mm. I think it's okay to have an I think it's okay to have a plan. It's okay to have a rough idea of what you want. Yeah. Um, but I think sometimes you have to allow nature to do its thing. And I had the complete opposite to my my sister was in labour for maybe four hours. I was in in active labour, they said, for seventy two hours. So I was Well, let's get into it. So active labour is considered for when you're at least four centimetres dilated and contracting regularly yeah that's what the technical term yeah. is now obviously everybody's labor is different as you've just described with your sister um let's go into when you started going into labor so um were you around your due date i was Where- a week over okay so already you were thinking hang on a minute my sister had hers two weeks early yeah okay so this is different <laughs> i went a week over and then i remember having a show that's what uh-huh. they call them right that's right the, mu- yeah. the mucousy like discharge comes away so I had the show and I thought, all oh, right, this is going to happen. And yeah. I started to get contractions and oh, I thought, really? this is going to be quick. Um, waters didn't break, started no. to have contractions and then they just stopped. Really? Just stopped. And then I kept worrying that he may stop kicking. I thought, oh, why is it just stopped? Is it, you know, how can he, how can I have that show? Because for me, I think when you read all that information, when you're constantly reading books, there seems to be an order, a system. And then when you kind of have that system already mapped out in your head, like for me, next was like, right, waters are going to break. And the movies are the worst for it. Because when you see in the movies when the, the water breaks and they're like, there's a massive emergency oh, and get yourself... The water's to- breaking is really irrelevant. It can happen right at the beginning before yeah. you're in labour. Or at the very end. Yeah. So my waters didn't break and I was having regular contractions mm. and then they just stopped. And then they just said, look, have a bath, have some painkillers, go to bed. It's Did you go fun. home? I didn't even go into hospitals. They didn't even oh, have Oh, I see. Me you in. just had them on the phone. They said, yeah. They said, stay home, yeah. just have a bath, relax. It'll all happen. And nothing happened the next morning. And then I then went into, the, I started to get contractions again, went yeah. back into hospital. They were really strong. And then, you know, those situations where you have a sick child and you take him to hospital and then suddenly they're fine. They're bouncing around, playing oh. in the... I'm Did like, your contractions I, stop? My contractions stop. Do you know that happens all the time? Does it? Do you know why? Why? Because, okay, so we're mammals. So when you labour, your body labours where you feel safe and comfortable. And for a lot of women, that is at home. And during the night... Because it's a primal thing for animals. And the amount of women that they come in, because we've told them, you know, come in when you're contracting every three minutes. They come into hospital and it's bright lights and smells you don't know and people you don't know. And so your body does fight or flight and it goes, right, we're just going to stop. What? I know. I wish I had known that. That would have really made sense to me back then. Mm. Because 
I was just distraught and tired oh, by I then. Bet you were. And then was she, it just your husband was your birth partner, or yeah. was your mum with you? No, no. Just, my mum would it would kill her. It okay. would, yeah, I mean, she can't even say the word sex, let alone they can't even think the word sex. They don't. There's no actual word for pregnancy, really, in our, in our language. There isn't. They they kind of have a way of saying you're sick. Wink, wink. There's no actual. And you're not sick. You're not sick. It's not you're just pregnant. Sickness. You're just pregnant. So, yeah, oh. it's it's really odd. Too much for her. That would be too much for her. But we, I had a sweep. Is it a sweep? Yeah. So yeah. that's when they you have a vaginal examination and then they fill the cervix. Yeah. And see if they can sweep the membranes with their fingers. So it's not breaking the waters, it's just kind of just seeing if that can help things along. Yeah, so she did the little sweep and that was that was hideous. Oh that no. was my first that was the first experience of being kind of like you know when they say you leave your dignity at the door. Well, at that point, mm. you know, you suddenly feel really vulnerable oh. because suddenly now you are this animal essentially who is going to have to birth this human being and it was uncomfortable and really odd and it just I remember just saying I can't have this baby he's like love it's gone in it's got to come out you know like it has to (laughs) loads of women say that I can't do it and you're like you can you can and it will it'll happen Um, and then I started to have contractions and I just was not dilating at all. And mm. then I went from not dilating to being five centimetres very quickly right. through the contraction. So the sweep did a really good thing. Yeah. And then they popped my waters. Mm. And then from the point I was five centimetres, I was in hospital for 72 hours. Until having he was born. contractions until oh. he was born. And it was it was the bit at the end where I went from five and they, they started to get worried. I could hear them whispering a little bit and saying, oh, you know, his heart rate's dropping. I was exhausted by then. Yeah. And if I watched my husband eat one more Rocky bar, I was going to hit him <laughs> with one. It was, I was like... Is that the snacks you brought in? That's what he took in. And he's just... Well, just Rocky bars. Rocky bars. And he bought a bag of apples and I was exhausted and tired and obviously hungry and he kept eating rocky bars next to me just get lost with you can you look at a rocky bar in the same way no he can't look at rocky bar anymore because he had like a whole like multi-pack so you said from established labor and we talked about this a little bit earlier from when you're like four centimeters dilated to giving birth to Musa was 72 hours Mm. I mean that's longer that's like flying to Australia back again and back again yeah that is so long and you were in the, obviously your own delivery room for the whole time. I was in a ward. I, was I mean, in a what ward. do you do for seventy-two hours waiting for this? You, you listen to people's conversations. Is what you do. <laughs> mm. That kept me very occupied. It's boring. It was boring because the pain kind of kept coming and going. So it wasn't like I was getting contractions every two minutes and they were super strong. Yeah, I would have that for a couple of hours. Yeah, and then it would subside. And there was no pain relief that I didn't try. You know, I had pethidine. I had. Uh, the tens machine, which was wonderful, by the way, because but uh-huh. even with the tens machine, you just get used to it, and then you just you still feel the. Eventually, you just get yeah. used to it. So I took all the stickers off, and then I was attaching them to my husband's body just to see what <laughs> happens to him in these little spasms that he was getting. Was he like, ow? He was like, ow! I was like, I have to have a whole child here. Don't yeah. you dare complain. But it was boring. It was boring just to sit there because I wasn't. I suppose if I if I was in pain, yeah, then I'd know something was happening. I, I for me, pain is progress. Um, yeah. Definitely. And, and nothing was happening. So I was just getting bored. And so I would, I ate a lot of sandwiches. Did you? Yeah. What flavour? Um, mostly prawn cocktail. Because at that point, they can't tell you not to eat prawns anymore <laughs> because it's all fully grown and happened now. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to have them. Crack on with that. Can uh, you eat one now? Are you all right I can with eat them? a prawn cocktail sandwich. It's not like the Rocky bars that no. your husband couldn't look at. No. So actually food has come into your birth story more than you probably thought it would. Probably, yeah. Yeah, it happens. It always happens with me. But yeah, I was I was extremely bored sat there. 
So at what point did you have the epidural? So I had the epidural just after the first uh, day mm. I had the epidural. But by then, the midwife that I'd seen, she had come on her shift, off her shift, somebody taken over and she'd come back again. Oh. You know, it was like, and she was like, are you still here? Oh, that's a little bit. Yeah, that's heartbreaking because she could see it in her face. You know, you've been in a long time when you yeah. see the midwife come back. And I, I started to feel like a nuisance. I, I kept, I was very apologetic. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I kept, and the All midwife. women are apologetic in labour. Yeah. Always. Do you find that? Always. I'm yeah. so sorry. Or like they'll snap at their partner and then they're like really nice to yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're just like, I'm so sorry. Never apologise. You know, if you're yeah. sick in labour, please don't apologise. You're in labour. You can say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Yeah. You can't. You're in labour. But I labor. just, I found it really hard because occasionally I would see my midwife roll her eyes. or oh. And I kept thinking, oh, no, I kept saying to Abdal, I was like, oh, I'm being a nuisance. Because you're trying to have a human being. You're not being a nuisance. Just ignore her. Oh, no, that's so, a shame she And I think, I think my relationship with my midwife was quite frosty because I think she was just getting fed up with the sight of my face um, oh, and she I was probably get, just really wanted you to have your baby in all fairness I was getting fed up with the sight of hers too um, <laughs> well yeah so I was like both of us I don't like you we, need, don't like we you. need to move this on yeah and then they started to whisper and say oh you know like I could hear them saying his heart rate's dropping and I was really tired but you know when you're in that tired state you become hypersensitive you can yeah. almost hear and see and smell sort of everything like hallucinate a I bit. was like oh, what are they saying who are they talking about um, so had the epidural worked at this point? It had worked at the beginning and then I don't know what happened, but they'd stopped giving me the epidural. They just said there was a lot of confusion near the end of my labour. Right. She said it's starting to wear off, but we're not going to top it up. And so mm. it just I Was it one that you pressed the button? Yes. And it topped up itself. Yeah, and she yeah. said you've kind of you've maxed it out. Oh right. Okay. I didn't know you, I didn't know that you could. Yeah, I mean a lot of the PCAs mm. they're called patient controlled analgesia that stands for mm. it's like a 20 minute lockout but what the benefit of having an epidural is obviously that you're pain free but then to wear let it wear off a little bit towards the end is better in terms of feeling yeah the pressure to push mm. because obviously we'll get to this bit now that you were then finally 10 centimeters yes. which is the golden you're fully dilated yeah so it's like 10 centimeters she said oh wow she goes i don't know how that's happened i was like well i know we've been here three days that's why it's just very <laughs> slow um but suddenly i went from five to ten wow and and i just burst into tears because i was then oh. so scared because i was tired mm. You're worried uh, about pushing. Yeah, so I'm so tired and they get some push. And I was like, I think I'm ready to push. And I started to push and I was so tired. And yeah. I could feel it now because it had worn off. Did that uh, help with the pushing then? It did, definitely. Yeah. And then he, I have never known anything to shoot out so fast. Oh, really? So his head came out quite quickly, a few seconds. So this is, you, it was just you, your husband and the midwife? Yep, that's it. Head out first. And did your midwife get you to slow down the pushing or did he just sort of... He just... He just he, I, I don't know what I was doing or if I was pushing and well, I can't... He's pushing I, brilliantly, obviously. Well, he just went from head to... And he just... He flew out. out. But obviously within... Once he'd done that, like I didn't realise the damage that he'd left in his wake. And I was really... I was hallucinating quite a lot because mm. by then he was already plonked on the bed crying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they picked him up, they cut his cord and they gave him straight to his dad and I was... I was so upset. Why All didn't I did they give him to you? Well, she, she's just... Because um, I was bleeding quite okay, a lot. Okay, she and, was worried. And then I kind of looked down and I said, hey, so it's really red in here. 
It was just blood. Really? Where I was looking that way, to my right, to my left. All over the bed. Yeah. And I was like, oh, guys, it's really red in here. And mm. I was just in and out of... And then I started to shake. I got those weird shakes that mm-hmm. you get. And then I vomited everywhere. Shock. You're yeah. getting into shock, yeah. So I vomited everywhere. And then... Maybe it was good you weren't holding him at that moment. Exactly. Um, and then I was very upset because as she said, I can't get her to theatre. I need to stitch her up right now. So the surgeon came into my room. Okay. And they stitched me up there and then. So you sustained a third or fourth? They said third slash fourth. Degree tear. Mm -hmm. So for anyone listening, in terms of tears, and we're talking about vaginas here and perineums, obviously it's a midwifery podcast. Yes. So a first degree tear just involves a little bit of skin on the perineum. A second degree is skin um, and deeper into the tissue. And then a third degree and fourth degree is all the muscle. So much, much deeper. Now, normally for that kind of tear, um, always a obstetrician has to check. I mean, we're good at identifying them as midwives, but an obstetrician would have to suture that. Whereas a midwife can suture the first and second degrees. And that would normally be done in theatre because it's quite a complex tear. Mm. The idea is that they want to make sure that you have got really adequate pain relief. So completely numb which would be done under a spinal like if you had a c-section and also there's just better lighting they can put you on a proper theater bed yeah so they must be busy in theater i, d- I mean it's quite I, unusual to be sutured in the room i was in the room still yeah. just sat there just had the afterbirth so the placenta had come out and i remember crying because i think shock pain mm. really hysterical because in my birth plan, I said, I want him to touch me first, yeah, not his dad. Of course you did. Skin to skin. It's... Yeah. I was just, uh, and he had him and he was crying. And I remember Musa was weed on him and he was really upset. He's like, I don't know how to. And I was like, he's a new dad too. And he's like, I kind of don't know what to do with this kid. And then the midwife just came over, took him, unraveled him, stuck him under my under under my nightdress. Yeah. And he was quiet. Like instant, instant, just. He took your heartbeat. He knew the sound. Instant. And I'll never forget that because even now when he's really all of the kids, when they're sad, they kind of have this thing about putting their head just there. And there must be something about... It's the the thing that connects us back to being in utero. Yeah. You know, when babies are inside, it's dark, it's warm, but they are safe because they don't have to worry about anything. Mm. They're fed, they're safe and they hear the sounds they hear constantly as the mother's heartbeat yeah so um the surgeon or the obstetricians um did your stitching in the room yeah did he explain in detail about your tear did he talk to you about the complexities of it did he say how bad it potentially was i only knew that it was a third slash fourth degree tear because i read my paperwork afterwards really no one told you nothing i didn't but that's why I kind of I used to get really annoyed with myself because I was so apologetic and I didn't want to make a fuss, which was great for me. Do you know what? In some ways, because it set me up for the, my second pregnancy. I was not taking anything from anyone. I was like, Mm-mm. <laughs> it oh, gave no, you no, empowerment no. and attitude. Well, it did because I felt so pushed and pulled. Did you? During, did, you for the, did you feel violated? I completely felt because I I kept asking, "What are you doing?" Because you know it is my body. I want to know it's what your it body. is that you're doing, and and a really important part of your body. Yeah, and she just came in and sat down, had a light on her head, and just stitched me up. And by then, obviously, the pain relief had worn off quite a lot, oh, so no. I could feel every pull, Ow. every single oh, pull. And I remember saying to my husband, "Nothing symmetrical anymore, is it?" And he said, no, it's not. Was he looking? <laughs> yeah. Oh. He said, it's not symmetrical anymore. Yeah, and I, it was quite it was quite horrific because I just said, I remember saying to the, the midwife, 
that was on the ward after she'd kind of taken us away. She said, oh, you can go home in about 12 hours. Mm. Um, I just didn't feel ready to go home because I was in so much because the pain relief was just wearing off. And she said, you need to go to the loo before we can let you go. So I'd already been to the loo, but I didn't want to go home because I didn't feel ready in myself physically to be able to take a human being home. Did you tell your midwife you didn't feel like you wanted to I go said home? I said I did. I asked my mum to tell them as well. I said, oh, I, ca- I my mum came yeah. afterwards and I said, I don't think I want to go home. And then Abdal went up to them and said, look, I don't think she's ready. She's really not well. I mean, like she's quite emotional and I think she just needs to get some sleep. And if the baby cries, maybe you guys could just take yeah. him, you know, like hold him for while she sleeps and things. And he goes, I just, I think he was afraid too. Yeah, of course. I like he's, he's brand a, new parents. It's yeah. really overwhelming taking a baby home. And I had my mum to help me and I said, mum, please, will you tell them that I don't want to go home? And the midwife yeah. just said, my daughter is not ready to go home yet. Did she? She's not well enough. Um, and before you know it, I was home. 10 hours later and between that I remember sitting there sort of getting I had myself ready to go home in tears because I was really upset because I was just about barely able to kind of deal with my son and I remember just bleeding out into my clothes and then my mother-in-law came in and I just kind of sat there the whole time and I said if you guys could just just give me a minute Mm. and I know I I knew what happened because it was then dripping onto the floor and I said to Abdal I need a change of clothes and he said what what do you need to I got up and I literally bled right through my clothes in through my jacket so this is as you're waiting to go home just waiting to go home and and he just said oh my goodness and it just it was frightening of course he's probably never seen nothing like that blood no and he just said I can't even he goes are you sure this is okay and we were just too scared and too young and not strong enough to say "Mm -mm, she can't go home not going home like you know she's not well yeah um but we then yeah we went home and when you have a tear as kind of complicated and as serious as yours Women should be educated on their tear and how to look after their tear because ultimately it's a wound that's had stitches and also the physical impact that has on your body. You know, walking might be difficult. Um, Going to the toilet might be difficult. Also long term, like when you decide to start having sex again, you know, all these things. I feel like they just didn't tell you what had actually happened to your body it was like you were just sent on your way yeah well we got a leaflet to say make sure the area is clean yeah when you can't see it and it's swollen and you just think you don't actually want to see it i don't want to look at it you're not going to get your husband to look no i didn't want to look at it i was so i was horrified that it was so swollen i couldn't walk the thought of what was down there just made me feel sick and and it just made me so anxious i was so tired and so so physically unwell, I couldn't sit. I was kind of propping myself up on different things. And then I wasn't sitting at all. So I was standing all the time. Yeah. But that's bad for you as well. Did because you have a rubber ring to sit on? No, nothing. No mm. rubber ring. I went on the internet and, and it said have a salt bath. And and that seemed to help. Um, I managed to find this tip, which I thought was absolutely absurd. Yeah. But I thought this could actually work. And it, it was for anyone who's had a tear after having a baby to get ice lollies. Yeah. Freeze them, yeah. wrap them in some tissue and stick them under your sanitary towel. To k- help with the swelling. The best thing <laughs> that I had ever done yeah. was 
to get those ice lollies and we got a pack of 10 and we would like, what, what can you remember what they were were they just like plain fruit ones just you know like uh, uh, farm foods they were from farm yeah, foods so they're yeah, like no, no labels nothing yeah. just plain clear but short ones you know the little ones yeah imagine on putting stick. those long ones on that Ooh. would be weird <laughs> all the way around um, but no we had it was those little short ones wrapped them in a bit of tissue under the sanitary towel yeah. oh sweet sweet relief um but I didn't feel at all prepared. And I remember saying to my mum when he was born, I said, Mum, you know, she stayed with me for a week. And I was so exhausted. Imagine after coming home that night, we went to bed and he was in the Moses basket next to me and he was crying hysterically. And Aww. I didn't hear what I didn't hear it. You were asleep. I, yeah, because I suppose that mum thing hadn't kicked in. You know, when you have to... The instinct to... To know. To yeah, breastfeed him. Yeah. So I just, I was asleep the whole time. And mum came in the room and tapped me and said, he's crying. Oh, and you didn't hear? I didn't hear him and I felt... And everything about having him, I remember just feeling constant guilt. I couldn't find the joy. He was there and he was lovely and I loved him yeah. and I knew that. But I couldn't find the joy. It was so difficult. How long did it take for the trauma of his birth to kind of subside and for the maternal instinct to kind of kick in? When did it all start to sort of piece together a bit more? Um, Abdal had taken four weeks off work to had be he? at home. So he, wow, that's amazing. He didn't originally plan no. to do that. He originally planned to just stay home for a week. And then he took another two weeks off because he realised that I was mm. obviously in a really bad way and he couldn't leave me. Yeah. Um, so we had four weeks, which is really nice because I wish I'd appreciate those four weeks because I don't think I've ever had him for solid four I weeks know. ever again. Um, it was only when he, the day he'd gone back to work, it was just me and Musa at home. And yeah. that is such a big day when they leave yeah. for work and it's just you and the baby. I, 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 it's like I, the longest day of your life. The longest. The, and, and, but that's the day where I start, suddenly started to feel like a more whole person. I remember being really upset and crying that he was going to work. But that's when I started to feel like a proper mum. Nadia, are you happy to answer a listener question with me? Yeah. So someone's emailed in. This is from somebody called Katie. My daughter is nearly 17 months old and my husband and I are thinking about trying for number two in the next year or so. My daughter was born via forceps with an episiotomy. I've recently been seeing a physio due to incontinence issues. She puts in brackets, lovely, cool <sighs> thing. And she's advised that for my next birth, I could try for a vaginal delivery, but I can only push for an hour due to my scar and how it's healed. I feel like I've been getting conflicted information from my GP, consultant and physio. How do you suggest we go about making the decision on the type of birth for number two? C-sections scare me so much, but we'd obviously rather keep my body safe and functioning well. So we'll do what's best. We just aren't sure what that is, though. Thank you. Now, this is actually quite relevant because you've, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but you had a third slash fourth degree tear, but then you went on to have two more babies. Yeah. Quite close. Your second baby was only born. Oh my goodness. My second baby <laughs> was literally, my Dawood was born seven days after his brother's first birthday. Are they in the, oh no, they're not in the same year then. No, no. no. So were you um, advised to have a C-section with your second baby or were you given the choice? I wasn't advised to have a C-section. They said go for a vaginal birth. They didn't say anything. We ju there was no talk about how really? you're going to have this baby. Um, no, the, we didn't even have that conversation. And what I find astounding, honestly, and I think it's really grown up, is that people talk about these things and worry about yeah. when am I going to have my next baby and how yeah. am I going to deliver this baby? And because I was never actually told, 
the seriousness of this injury was never really ever expressed to me or I never really understood it. Because, I mean, I'm not a midwife. I don't know. And no. I, well, if know, no one's going to tell you, you just yeah, get on with things. Because I didn't know. I didn't know that having perhaps having a pregnancy so close together wouldn't be a good idea. And, and you know, how would I then have this child? So I, mm. it wasn't something I thought about. But the fact that people actually think about all the detail yeah, it's, it's really responsible because yeah, I, I mean, feel a bit irresponsible actually <laughs> well I mean I think what this listener Katie is basically saying that she's had a, a forceps delivery yeah. which is a you know what a forceps delivery yeah. is an instrumental birth and an episiotomy which is a cut yeah and she's had incontinence which is just horrible but yeah. so common and again people just accept that it's normal listeners it is not normal to wee yourself after you've had a baby it needs to be repaired or you need to work hard with physio. I mean, she's doing all the right things by seeing a physio. Yeah. I mean, from a midwifery point of view, I feel like she needs to weigh up the pros and cons for both. Mm. Unfortunately, when you have a baby, there will be scarring, whether it's yeah. a scar across your uterus or pain and scarring down on your perineum and vagina. So she needs to weigh up the risks. Obviously, C-section carries greater risk of um, things like blood loss, infection, and recovery is longer with the C-section. Because it is a big Yeah, procedure. it's major abdominal surgery. How many layers of skin do they have to go through? Skin, muscle, then the uterus. We don't want anyone to think that a C-section is the easy option. However, obviously with a C-section, your perineum will be intact. But it's also worth pointing out that incontinence isn't always necessarily caused from the delivery itself. Your pelvic floor is weakened through your pregnancy. So if you were to have a C-section, mm. you could still have incontinence? You could still have incontinence. And because she's already got previous incontinence from her first birth, it may never get better. Right. However, she may then tear again and her incontinence may get worse. This is the problem with this kind of scenario is there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. But what I think, Katie, is I would say you need to weigh up. You need to get the pros and cons or the risks and benefits for both birth options. Thank you, Katie, um, for writing in. Remember, you can send me your questions for series two on birthstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Nadia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your birth story with us. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your new memoir, Finding My Voice? Um, yeah, so I'm really excited. It's out now. It's called Finding My Voice. And then I've got my new picture book out, which is called My Monster and Me. And it's all about anxieties and worries and sharing those with your little ones. Oh, that's a really lovely thing to do. Yeah. Thank you. I can't believe that was the last episode of Series 1. I have loved this. I think more than I probably thought I would. Um, I want to say thank you to all our guests for being so honest and open in this little recording studio in London. You know, it's a massive thing to tell your birth story to someone and for someone who don't know as well. So a final message from me is a huge thank you to everybody who has listened, downloaded, subscribed, commented on the podcast your um, enthusiasm and constant support means that we can do a series two which will be in the new year you can listen back to all 12 episodes anytime and stay subscribed so that you're the first to know about series two i'd love to know what you thought of the series and if you have any suggestions for series two so please do rate it and leave a review on apple Podcasts if you have time you can find more birth stories on my blog, Gas and Air, and you can find me on Instagram at Mother of Daughters. Birth Stories was produced by Hannah Varrell and created by Offscript.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.